Hello and welcome to the DH effect, the decided heart effect. I'm Hillary and I'm joined by my compassionate co-host, Sonia. Every week we bring you guests who exemplify having a decided heart in the hopes that we will inspire you to maybe pause, reflect, and in any given moment, choose to act and create change in a positive way in your life. Okay, so today we are joined by two, I don't know, like multi-talented, hilarious, and wise women who, by the way, happen to be mother and daughter. (laughs) So um, I know this duo (laughs) from way back. At the time, um, you know, Louise and I were actually on a podcast station together and yeah, station back before Zoom and all of that. We each had our own podcast. And I think that, I mean, Natasha came into it like the whole nine yards, but Natasha was a teen at the time who was looking to be this actress and she has gone on to do some amazing things. Um, Louise is super accomplished. She's an entrepreneur with her company, Signing Families. She's the producer of The Salon, which is this really cool, like inclusive and innovative digital series. She's an author. She's a psychologist. She's a digital strategist, content creator, blah, blah, blah. I could keep going and on and on and on. I've only like tip of the iceberg, but I think her favorite job, because she lights up whenever she talks about her adult children is being mom. And that leads us to Natasha. We're gonna be talking a lot about Miss Natasha today. She is the new head of production for Ethos Studios. She's an extremely talented actress and writer. You have to check out her, all her stuff out online. And she has a brand new book that we're gonna be talking about today. And I have to say, Sonia and I love the title. We both have our hearts like really, really in to working with teens and families. And so here we go. Are you ready? (laughs) Shit adults never taught us. It is about damn time. Somebody wrote that book, Natasha. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Welcome back. I want to know who these people are. I mean, (laughs) it's so funny. You're talking about that radio or the podcast, quote unquote podcast. Cause yeah, I did that when I was 18 or 19, maybe 17. And we called it a radio show at the time. That's it was right. this. I think it was syndicated. I think that's why, because it, was, it was syndicated in the deep South or in it Texas. It was recorded. There was no Zoom then. There was barely no. Skype. And it was recorded in the same exact vein. And we called it radio. And now it's podcast. And people are like, podcasts are blowing up. And I'm like, we've been doing podcasts for decades, guys. <laughs> right. That's right. Remember the headphones and the whole, it was craziness. <laughs> I used to do it from a closet because there was no video. So I would do it from the closet of my apartment in college. Yeah. That yeah. is so awesome. Oh my goodness. Crazy so- times. <laughs> I know, right? So this is really a, a special moment in your life, Natasha and mom, um, Luis, you know, decided hard. We have an experience, we have many experiences, but there are some where it really makes an impact where we settle with that experience. And then what's really important to Hillary and I is the effect that we take action and saying, I need to do something about this. And Natasha, we're going to focus on your book and we're going to probably have you back for future chapters and episodes um, with the other things that you've achieved. But together as mom and daughter, and maybe Natasha, I'll start with you. What was that moment or moments that made you shift and say, I have to take action. I have to write. Shit, adults never taught us. 
Well, it's all encompassing, really. So Shit Adults Never Taught Us is a book of 98 chapters, but they're super quick. I feel like I scare people when I say that. They are bite-sized, comedic, like two or three pages, very quick chapters. And they're broken down into four sections, career and money, relationship, mind, and life. And essentially, that's 98 effective moments. That's 98 moments I had to take action Mm -hmm. in my life. And it's stuff I had to figure out along the way because it wasn't part of my curriculum. It wasn't part of my upbringing because technology decided to change so rapidly throughout my lifetime. There's no way anybody could have taught it to me. It wasn't, there's no way to catch up to that. So, I mean, for my mom's generation, you'd get into a job, you'd stay in that job every couple of years, they'd hand you buckets of money and they'd give you a 401k that was matching and you could buy a house for way less than you could buy a house now. And marriages were simpler and having kids was simpler. And unfortunately, mental health was not really discussed. And now that it's coming to the forefront, I say a lot, like I took 12 years of PE where I just learned to run 12 years over and over and over again. And I get it. I know how to run as an adult. I don't run as much as I handle anxiety or depression or any of the catastrophic overthinking side effects that come with just being a stressful adult. And I think there's a lot that we weren't taught and had to figure out on our own. And if you sit with it and you don't take action, your life just gets harder. It's crunchier. And so I wrote something that I felt just let's smooth it out for people. Let's make things a little bit easier. And I have no, there's nothing about me that's special. I have no pedestal to stand on that projects or preaches me over anyone else. I don't know anything in a special way. I just want to help others. And I'm doing that through my own life lessons. And a lot of those lessons were failures. And most of those lessons are things I'm still learning. Well, and that's what I love. This morning I was thinking, you know, as you're getting ready, then you sort of have those moments where something dawns on you. And I was like, she's really good at the hums. And in my head, the, 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 the hums are humility and humor. <laughs> so, right. I was like, that was what was going through my head. And I was like, it's so fun. As you read it, there's so much humility. You show up and like, dude, why are we keeping this a secret? Like, what? Well, like, can we just talk about this please? And Louise, I have to like, give that back to you as well you. and say that while, you know, I mean, some of this, you do just have to learn through wisdom and experience. You can't, until you do it, you don't have anything to contextualize. You can't, you can't put it into existence, but I have to say, and Natasha, feel free to jump into, but how, with the psychology background that you have as well, her very ability to process this and then put it out in such a vulnerable way, you must be beaming, but that probably took a lot of work on your part. Well, she also has a dad. So <laughs> I like say Mark. It was we a love Mark. Effort. I don't want to take all the credit. Um, since Natasha was very, very young, she was always the creative one. I always said she's like the square peg in the round hole. You know, I knew that she was different than a lot of other children. And I've worked with thousands. So I, I really have a, a good number of kids to refer to. But I also knew that she had an interest in writing. We gave her her first journal or diary when she was little. And we found it when we moved to California. And the first first few pages are when I grow up, I want to be a Dweka. And, <laughs> and it's, it's like sounded out. She is six when she's writing this. 
maybe seven, four, you were four. Okay, four. <laughs> my my four-year-old journal, the first page just says, I love TV over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she would chronicle things and, and I don't think I'm outing anything, but she has some learning disabilities. Um, and that she learned to uh, rise above that by writing a lot of her work in script formation and in narrative. And so teachers were like, what is this? And I'm like, that's the way she uniquely learns. And I had already known that she was going to be unique in her own way. But the fact that she was teaching the teachers how to teach her was brilliant, brilliant. And to this day, I would just like to go back to some of those teachers and say, she wrote a book about things that we never taught her and maybe you should read it. <laughs> so, but she wrote it in the same way. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, exactly. This, this really is, it's a journal. It's a memoir mm-hmm. of my own experiences and it's written that way because it has to be. Like I, this book came about in a really organic way in that I was talking to a lot of friends through all of the Zoom happy hours and things over quarantine that we had never talked about before. I had never really had the discussions with friends before of anxiety, depression, coping with these mechanisms or having the courage to fall in love or surviving a breakup when you can't go to a bar and drink or hang out with your girlfriends or having savings, side hustles, taxes, investments, all these things that we never talked about before because we were in each other's lives and we had things going on. And then when the world stopped and we had nothing going on, these conversations went a level deeper Mm -hmm. and it triggered my brain to figure out why we never talked about this before. And the simple answer is we stopped asking questions. Mm -hmm. My generation in particular was told, go Google it, go Google it. Well, you don't know it, go Google it. And you can't Google what anxiety feels like. You can ask a friend. Mm-hmm. You can't Google what is, how do, how do you trust yourself? How do you find courage in yourself? How do you find validation in yourself and get comfortable in your own skin? You can't Google any of that. You have to talk to friends. And so I wrote it as a journal talking to friends. <clears throat> and it's my own life experiences because that's the only way I know how to write. Sure. Yeah. Well, you're, you, what this book does is that you are extending that conversation in your own words to hopefully millions and millions of young people trying to navigate. And in my experience, you know, this, this is it. This is where it's like the, the masters of learners. This is, you know, Luis and Hillary, this is where we grew up. There are masters of, of knowledge and young people look up to these masters, which are called teachers and parents, and we learn from them. And, you know, Natasha, you said in your acknowledgments, you know, um, I have to, I'm going to read it really quick. Yeah, please. I'd like to dedicate this book to my parents. They taught me many of these topics growing up, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without them. I would also like to thank the internet and my personal life failures. They taught me the rest. Mm-hmm. And this is the, sh- this is such a huge shift that parents and educators have to let go because that, our mindset as parents, we feel like, I grew up that I had, I have this responsibility to know all, and I need to teach Natasha and my children all of it, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the missing link though, Natasha, is what you're bringing up is wait, because of information technology, we have to, we have to engage in ourselves. Like what are we learning on our own with this access to all this information at once? 
and let's have this conversation as we're navigating through the ugliness and perhaps you know, the prettiness of it as well. <laughs> this book, I just love it because it, because it's so short, it aligns with how communication happens today. So I want to thank you for your wisdom and then actually teaching me some things in your book. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I think it's such an impossible task to be a parent, to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Teachers probably love, would love to teach most of the stuff in this book, but they're given a test and a curriculum and school funding milestones that they have to hit. Yes. And that is what they have to teach to keep their job. So I do not blame them. I do not blame anyone for missing this information because my parents, I had an incredible upbringing. Mm-hmm. I know that most people don't or many people don't. I had an awesome upbringing. I had a fantastic school district. I had fantastic parents. I never worried about a lot of these things, but there's no way for anybody to teach all of this Mm -hmm. because they're teaching from what they know. My parents teach from what they know. They can't teach me app-based investing if they don't know app-based investing. And I was in Louise. <laughs> that was your father's job. <laughs> right. I was in a nine-year relationship that took up most of my 20s and then decided to leave that relationship. And neither of them had that experience where they can be like, this is what essentially divorce is like. And divorce at 28 in, you know, this time frame of app-based dating and social media and Nobody is able to fill that in, in a way that you can fill it in for yourself. And so you have to go to the people in your life and you have to ask them what's personal to you. But speaking in terms of my particular upbringing and my parents, I had a fantastic upbringing. And so there's no blame that I put on them. And I wanted to make sure that that came across. I did a a podcast the other day where they were, they were, it's two sisters And they were like, we talk about our upbringing all the time and we mention trauma and we feel bad because our parents listen to this and we don't want our parents to think like they did a bad job. They did a great job raising us. And I'm like, everybody has trauma Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean it came from your parents. I got my space at like 14 and started comparing myself to every other girl on the internet. Like there's no, that's trauma. There's no way my parents could have protected me from that. There's no way they could have protected me from the conversations they they had amongst themselves that I'm listening to in the other room or the circumstances. (laughs) I grew up in a recession when I was in college, the recession hit, and then I had a pandemic 10 years-ish later. Mm -hmm. There's no protection from that. And all of that is trauma. I often... I was just going to interject. Is that okay? Of course. Um, <laughs> I always say that our children, Natasha and her her brother, grew up in a traumatic way in that the world was kind of going crazy. You had 9-11. You had the wars that were going on in the Mid-East. DC we sniper. Lived, we, lived in the, we lived in the Washington, D.C. area with the D.C. sniper. There was a lot of calamity, school shootings. um, And so it was really a very tense time to raise children because it wasn't the childhood I remember where, you know, don't come home to the streetlights go on. It wasn't where you have a relationship because you live near, literally within minutes of cousins or your great grandparents or your grandparents. We didn't have that. 
uh, because of the nature of just how we chose to live and where we chose to live. Um, so I think that that their generation is really been exposed to far more stressors at a very early age than any adult probably that I know of. So, especially if they were raised here in the United States. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I just commend them for being able to survive mentally. I had just read a statistic that four out of five um, adults w- who consider themselves millennials mm-hmm. identify with having anxiety. And I thought that seemed really low because I feel like five out of five adults, if you're on the internet, how do you not have anxiety? If you're dealing with financials in one of the hardest financial times, how do you not have anxiety? And I think a lot of people say that they don't have it because they don't know how it looks. Mm -hmm. Nobody taught them that anxiety can manifest in different ways. And so for me, it's physical, but for other people, it can be a downward spiral of a mentality or projecting things onto other people or lashing out. It can manifest in thousands of different ways in people. And we were never taught it because we maybe got one semester when you're 13. And I don't know about you, but when I was 13, I didn't, a lot of information that came at me didn't stick. So I had a lot going on, you know, like hormones and stuff. I had a lot going on. So I would, I would have loved to have that conversation uh, every year if it was in school or have the information more available to me. And I do appreciate that that is more available now, but I don't think we're doing enough to help people understand this. And that's why I wrote the book. But I also think when we teach people stuff, we're teaching it in such a boring way. Mm-hmm. Like the whole career and money section, I was probably taught a lot of that and didn't listen. Yeah. It's so boring. That's why I wrote it in funny, quick chapters is anybody can read two funny pages of something and take it away and just use it however they wish. But if you're taking a whole course, you have a whole self-help book on these chapters, it's not going to stick. It's too boring. Well, and that's, what's so cool about the way that you break this down is first of all, just to give people like the career and money shit. Okay. Cause each one is each, each section is, is a different title as, as you said earlier, but it's like, it's so practical, you know? So you have the soft skills, as you would say, the social emotional part of it later, but it's also like, Hey, taxes, resumes, negotiating, advocating for yourself, which is still something I try to get adults to do so much of the time. It's like, yes, you get to be a partner in your healthcare, you know, deposit, like all of these things, you know, even to the point of like accepting that you have to work for your dreams and it's not going to be handed to you, but you break it down with, with quotes that are sticky along with checklists of like, okay, you read about it now go ahead and do these things Mm -hmm. so that you can move forward because that's part of the problem. There's a, and Louise with, as a teacher, psychologist, all of this, this is going to, I think, resonate with you as well. Um, You know, the learning model, it's like, you start out, you introduce the topic, but then that's all people have been doing, but you have to not just introduce the topic, but make it relevant. And then provide an opportunity to move to action because unless you move to action, it isn't sticky. You don't actually learn it. Right. Yeah. How many people read a self-help book and then put it down and go, fantastic. I'm done. I'm fully grown and baked. And (laughs) then they don't do anything about it. And I made the checklist because that's how my brain works. 
I'm super ADD. And if I read a book and put it down, I will not come back to that. If there is not actionable items in there for me to actually check mm-hmm. off and cross off like on a to-do list. So I wrote the way I think there's gotta be somebody else out there that thinks like me. All of the people. <laughs> <laughs> I write checklists. <laughs> You know, the, the other thing that's so important, though, is even though that this book is so helpful, there is a detachment. And I think this is so important. And I'm going to I'm going to keep reading stuff that I read that's really hooked on to me. You know, in the beginning, you said, hey, not every 98 things here is going to be relevant to you. So mm-hmm. skip it. And then you said this. I am not your mother. I won't check up on you to make sure you did you did your homework. That is so profound to me because, so my work, I work with teens and college age students. And for some, you know, I mean, for reasons we, we know of, um, we've held on too tightly and we've micromanaged way too long. And that our young adults have become codependent on the adults raising them. And so th- they're following an equation and they're looking for validation and worth from others. And so for you, Natasha, to bring that up, that you no longer like, you don't need a mom. You need to be independent. I'm giving you tools and insight and reflection based on my life. And permission. And permission. I release you like, damn it, live your own life, right? (laughs) Yeah. If you want it to happen, you've got to do it. No one's going to do it for you. Someone might do it instead of you, but no one's going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in making your dreams come true, nobody's going to walk up to you on the street and be like, here you go everything you wanted in a nice, neat little package that never happens. So you've got to take the steps and actually make it happen for yourself. Also the validation that you're talking about, like giving the gold star for everything won't mean anything if you learn to validate yourself, because there's never going to be that job, that house, that person in your life that validates you. And you're like, cool, that was the missing piece. Now I'm totally complete. And as long as I've got that thing, I'm perfect that never happens. You're the only one that can do that for yourself. So you're the only one that can read the book and put these things into effect. I love that because it's funny. It's almost, um, it, 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 even though it's adult shit never taught us the er, earth, say that, (laughs) say that the right way. I'm sorry. (laughs) Shit. Okay. Yes. You know what I'm trying to say because very close. Thank you. I was like, my, my tongue was just shit. Adults never taught us. There we go. Every once in a while you have a moment. I had one. Um, but, but what's interesting is the first, my first initial thought was like, this is going to be a blame game. This is going to be a blame game. This is going to be, and it's not, it's like, Hey, it's okay. But like, let's figure this out together. And that's Louise. I want to actually throw a question to you too. And, and, and maybe it's not a question so much as, as advice or some thoughts on one of the things that I know about you as a mom is anytime your kids show, have shown in the past, even a glimmer of interest in something you're like, Oh, okay. How can we feed that a little bit more? And you did that really fearlessly, in my opinion. I mean, to the point of like, okay, you want to be an actress? Like, here we go. Like really, (laughs) really leaning into it and never really saying, well, that's just not, you didn't, you never let your own fears and maybe you don't have your own fears, but I see parents all the time have their own fear for wanting to bubble wrap their child is it keeps their child from becoming who they are meant to be. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like what, how, how, how do we do that? Well, Natasha will know that I always say, do your passion. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I've said that multiple times where a lot of people get stuck in jobs, 
in majors in college, in marriages that are in oops, they, they shouldn't be there, you know? And so I want wanted for our kids to do their passion. Life is only so long and, and it's really unfortunate if you're doing a whole bunch of years in things you don't wanna be part of. You know, maybe you went into a career and you decided after five years, I really don't like this, then switch it, pivot, you know, that big word pivot. And it took, it took the COVID pandemic for some people to get that wake up call. Um, I think for me, it took having cancer to get that wake up call, you know, to say, okay, I've been doing X and I'm pretty happy, but I wouldn't mind pivoting a little bit, being more of an entrepreneur, testing those waters. And I hope that by example, that trickled down to our kids Um, and their father did the same thing. He switched careers, you know, more than once. So do your passion, you know, do what resonates with you at that time, but responsibly, like, don't go like, oh, today I'm going to live on a yacht for the next 10 years. Maybe you should think it through, you know, read Natasha's first set of chapters about financial gain and, you know, savings (laughs) and before you do that. But that's kind of, you know, what I always adhere to as far as a teaching lesson, you know, for the kids. Yeah. I would say just to add on to that as being one of those kids, um, <laughs> yes, she did do that. She would pivot us any way we wanted to go, but there was never the option of nothing. You couldn't pivot to nothing. So I, w- I tried dance. Then I tried gymnastics. Then I tried soccer. Then I tried field hockey. Then I tried volleyball. Then I tried acting. And there were probably 10 other things in there. I think I went to basketball camp a couple of times. Like yeah. there was a lot of stuff in there. And then I would be like, I don't like this. And she'd be like, okay, you can leave when you find something you like, and we'll, we'll switch to that. Mm-hmm. So I just, I kept bouncing around things. I would do horseback riding lessons. And then I'd be like, I don't like horseback riding. And she would be like, okay, you can stop them, but what are you going to do instead? And I'd be like, field hockey. And then I would, so I always was trying something. Nothing was never the other thing. Mm-hmm. It always had to be something. So just like switching jobs, you can be like, I don't like this career. Okay. What do you want to do? You can't just quit and be like, I'll figure it out. Because statistically, you won't. Statistically, you're going to sit around and and wait for something to happen to you. You've got to set that into effect. You've got to figure out what it is that drives that passion. I also was not the over-programming parent. And I think that's a point where there were a lot of friends that both my kids had where Monday they did something, Tuesday they did something, Wednesday they did something, maybe Thursday they did two or three things. And these children were exhausted. I... I never wanted our kids to be exhausted, but I also didn't want them to be couch potatoes. So there had to be a happy medium. And I hope, hopefully that we did reach that. So. Yeah. We had three weeks of camp every summer out of what, eight weeks that we had to pick a camp that we went to. It could be a day camp. It could be whatever kind of camp you wanted that was active Mm -hmm. or educational or something that fed your passion. So that was like half the summer. And then the other half the summer you could lay by the pool. It's a balance. And that balance was taught to me really early on so that now it's a balance in my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, travel is important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for, you know, passion is such a, it's such a faux pas word in college admissions where I come from. 
because you know a lot of young people think that passion's a noun like you find it and then you stop <laughs> like you I found it like I go through like aisle six there's my passion right here right and passion oh, is on you're nurturing and passion changes and it's flexible and it grows and there's layers and there's shifts and turns so it's a lifelong thing so I, I know you know vocabulary it is a noun but it's really a verb right mm-hmm. and I love this this parenting or this family dynamics where again, like there's such a difference between the programming and parenting and then teaching our children, the world is out there, babe. I want you to have courage. Exploration, right? Yeah, you go out there, explore. And you know what? Your life is short. Don't settle for a thing that you are now unhappy with because you made the commitment and now you have to endure it in the name of achievement, right? Um, So I just, I'm celebrating that and I'm hoping that many, many, families are listening and perhaps maybe reflecting on their own um, family dynamics. Without that, I don't think I ever would have written this book because mm. having the lessons from a childhood that says you can try anything and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You can shift back or you can shift again to something else. So I wrote a book and I went through the whole process of what if I don't like this, if at any point I don't like this, I could shift to something else. And I just kept going and going and going. But Something about fuel your passion as a kid means when you feel a passion spark in you, you act on it as an adult. Mm-hmm. And that is what, that's how this book happened. That's what happened. Well, in listening to, to everybody, to all three of you, the two things that come to my mind are, one is this idea, and Sonia and I talk about it a lot, curiosity. And Natasha, you said that from the very beginning, you said we weren't asking enough questions. And to me, I literally sat down with a kid the other day who wanted to, my master's was from Cambridge. He wants to go there. And so he sat down and he had a conversation with me and he's like, what's your advice? And I said, I have one thing I want to tell you, be curious. Yeah. And, and it was funny because every time I talked to talked to him, it was like, have you done this? And he's like, well, no. I'm like, well, why not? I like ask the question, ask the next question. And the other part, and I hear that in everything that you're talking about, but then the other thing that I, that I really is resonating with me, and I never thought about it until I listened to you is, Sonia, you have said that the number one predictor of success in college, and I think also out in the workplace, to be honest, I think it plays out is a feeling of belonging. And, and so that idea of belonging can't come when you are forcing yourself to be that square peg in a round hole and it's exploring and connecting and asking the questions is what allows you that old childhood book, right? Are you my mother, right? Are you, it's that idea of like asking life, like, is this where I fit? Doesn't quite feel right. Is this, but advocating, and that doesn't mean you can't be happy in the moment. And you talk about that in the book too, like be happy in the now and keep asking questions and exploring. Yeah, it's community, it's support. Belonging essentially is community and support. A couple of years ago, one of the most Googled questions is what is love? Mm -hmm. And that's a prime example of the fact that we don't really have community and support anymore. That millions of people thought it was better to ask Google than to ask their friends or to ask their support system. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that sense of belonging doesn't it's requirement essentially to keep going and to feel like what you're doing is right. And that's never been more evident than it is today. We have the proof to say most people feel like they don't have the support around them to feel like they belong. 
Um, wow. And that anchors to what you said in the, in the relationship um, section of your book, because although that sense of belonging is, is, is really important, you said the most important relationship you have is you. That one I guarantee lasts a lifetime. And so the work that we do, our decided heart moments, we really have to own those. We have to settle with those and really figure out, wow, I'm feeling these things. Take care of that because that's where the worth comes from, right? And so, because that sense of belonging can be misconstrued where we're like, oh, sense of belonging, I need to get validation here. My worth belongs in this community. And that's that's where it becomes awry and we get really, the anxiety builds. So yeah. if, we can, if we can take care here with our own hearts, then we can engage in these communities where that support happens. It's true. You're always going to be with yourself 24 seven. They're the only thoughts you're ever going to hear. You're never going to hear anybody else's thoughts. They're the only thoughts you're going to hear. So take care of them and be kind to yourself. You would never treat somebody else the way you probably treat yourself in hard times. Mm -hmm. And if you can give the compassion to yourself that you give to other people, it's so much easier to get through life and to find that validation in yourself and to like yourself. I always tell people like, it's not in the next thing. Getting that amazing job isn't going to make you feel the way you think it will. You can have a million dollars. You'll, you'll adjust your life and then you want 10 and then you want a hundred million dollars and then you want a billion dollars. And I bet if you went to Jeff Bezos right now and you're like, are you happy? He'd be like, eh, like some days. And so it's not, it's not in the money. It's not in the partner. It's not in the house or anything because you can be in a really amazing marriage and still feel lonely sometimes. It's got to be you. You've got to be comfortable in you. Louise, I'm looking at your face right now I'm and I, I feel like you're beaming and like I can yeah. see your heart about to explode. You know, I just want to make- a smart kid. Right? <laughs> smart I want adult. Yes. I mean, I want to hold space. I want to hold space for you too. Not Natasha, like everything that you are, are saying is, it is so wise. It is so wise beyond your years. I keep on, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I mean, you are nearly 30 or 30, like right in 31, 31. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's time has gone so fast in my head. And I'm sure in <laughs> Louise's head, Louise is like, no, you're not. You're like four, um, you know, like in that, but you, not quite. <laughs> no, no, I know. But Louise, as you're reading this book, you know, two questions, number one, just the wisdom and, and, and the pride that you must've felt. I would love to have you talk about that, but also was there, was there something that stuck out in the book to you where you were like, whoa? Well, yes. Pride, of course, you know, I, I'm proud of Natasha, if, you know, every day and in the little things that occur in her life, as well as these monumental milestone moments. Um, the book, she had us pre-read it and I, I read it like this. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest, I skipped the money parts, the financial part and went straight to relationships. <laughs> <laughs> because I was most curious as to how we played out, how people in the world played out that we knew in, you know, together. And so I went through that and I, when I was done, I was like, okay, that was a, that was good. You know, I could, I could live with all that she said. So there weren't any like yikes moments, the mental health part. I've lived her a, a lot of what she said with her. And some of it was a little bit of a surprise, maybe the intensity, but I think that the being able to tell her truth, telling your truth, Natasha was very important. 
because we're afraid to tell our truth. My generation is sort of eh on the mental health issues because I'm older than you ladies, probably my mother's and, you know, my parents' generation is like, you deal with your problems behind closed doors at home. So every generation gets more open-minded when we talk about mental health. And so I, I know that some people have said, Ooh, she, she outed a lot of information that shouldn't be, you know, discussed. And I'm like, it's her truth. It's, it's fine because it's her book. She's an adult. She can write her truth. And my job is to read it and, and, you know, just support her. And that's what I'm doing. For sure. One thing that now I, she's teaming. Look, <laughs> I, know, I love it. I'm watching her. She, face. she had to read the book. I had to give her a copy of it before. And she read like a very rough draft. That was, I think before the editor even saw it, but I put a lot of really personal stuff and personal stories in here. And I sent it to people that without question, someone would know who it is. So you can say like, oh, I had a friend who did this, but you can't be like, I had a mom who did this. Like (laughs) People are going to know who that is. So I had to make sure that, of course, everything she's comfortable with. And she came back and she was like, yes, we're not perfect. Of course, there's going to be some stuff that is in here that's just honest. And it's my experience. So I'm just speaking to resonate with other people who have gone through something similar or are going through something similar. And so she, she allowed it all. Nothing was changed because of her. And honestly, everyone I sent it to was like, yeah, okay. If that's, that's all true. So go ahead. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to change what happened. You can't change history. For sure. I love the part about when you say, tell the story about us doing a mental health day. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really powerful lesson for parents to learn perhaps that their kids, you let them have sick days when they have temperature or whatever, but you don't let them have a mental health day. Mm. And maybe if we gave more mental health days, we'd have less bullying. We'd have less, you know, um, kids breaking down or pretending that they're sick. As a psychologist, I see kids pretend they're sick all the time just because they're overwhelmed. So I love that you added that part. Yeah. I'm I'm so resonating right now. because uh, again, I'm going to circle back as, as parents were so busy trying to figure out the next thing or the repairing or the fixing. It's so noisy in our heads. And, and when I say parents, educators, you know, working with young people that we're not really observing and listening to what it is that they need. And, you know, um, what this exchange is that we're hearing right now is that, you know, Luis is like, I'm learning. I'm learning from my child, my adult mm-hmm. child. And I, I resonated that with, with my own daughter, who's 20, when I had this sex talk. And I thought I was the all-knowing. Let me, I'm the expert here. And she's like, I know all that, mom. I know all that. And I'm like, so it's, I stopped because thank God I worked on listening just a bit. And so I asked, what is it? Tell me what you know. And guess what? She was teaching me stuff. She was teaching me stuff that's happening today that I didn't know was out there. And she became my teacher. And I think that's the release that don't be so noisy and all knowing, but there is this exchange with this generation who is finding so many things on the internet and with each other that there's this learning and there's this growing together. And I just, I just love this relationship um, between you two and how you've really kind of formed this bond um, with an adult child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she taught me from her toolbox of lessons and then my toolbox expanded so giving her some of that back and it's just because 
we are different generations and we have different sources of income or sources of knowledge and and sources, no, of, and sources of income <laughs> i mean yes, yes. But so, sources of knowledge she's talking okay. to her friends she's talking to the people in her life that are filling her in on information and the people in my life are filling me in on totally different stuff and and that's not something we have to keep secret i can share that with her mm-hmm. and having that open communication is what allows for that that's what I was just going to say. I think that the big thing, the big word that gets lost so often today, and I used it already, one of those hum words, the humility piece and the humility comes from, I think there's, I think fear and anxiety comes in all shapes and sizes and forms. And our generation, Louise Sonia was still kind of dealing with the anxiety of, oh my gosh, you, you have to look a certain way as a mom. Um, or a dad, you know, as a parent and you, you know, how your kids behave and the success and whatever is, is, is a reflection of how well you've done this job and you can't look weak to your kids. And I'm not saying everybody bought into that, but I see it so much in the anxiety and the fear of trying to keep it all together and perfect. And then what that does to a child as well. And I love the, the detachment and the, the growth mindset of like, yeah. I mean, just to be blunt, like shit's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you know what? The only way we're going to learn is the experience and maybe the trauma we can never grow unless we're uncomfortable. If we're always comfortable, then we, we, we can't, we can't grow. Literally that signals to us. Oh, edge of growth. Here we go. Get ready. Let's celebrate it. And that's what I hear from both of you is, is not the anxiety of like, Oh my God, there's something happening. And I have to, but like, Oh, oops. Okay. There's going to be a failure there. What did I learn from that? How can I grow? How can I, how can we talk about that? And not that it's always that easy, but the acceptance and understanding that sometimes it's not going to be that easy. (laughs) I think when you parent, when, when, you know, raising kids, I just wanted very simple things. I wanted them to be healthy and breathe because I had a son who didn't do that for a while. He, he had, difficulties with his breathing consistently. So you get right really down to the basics. You want a healthy baby, you want a healthy family. And then I want them to be educated. That's very important. Education was always first. And I want them to give back, to give more than they get. Everything else, uh, you know, doing your, what resonates with you, where your heart leads, passion or whatever you want to call it, is, is just more gravy on top of all of that. But just the basics. And then after that, don't sweat the small stuff. She let us learn however we needed to learn. So I was a kid, ironically, who hated reading. Mm-hmm. And I, I was never the person who was going to sit down and read a book cover to cover when I was younger. And essentially, that's why I wrote a book that is definitely not meant to be read cover to cover. <laughs> but I would put the captions on TV. And so she would give me an hour in front of the TV and say, okay, you can watch TV if the captions are on. Mm. And that's still reading. And it still got me to pick up my speed and recognize words and sound out spelling and all of that without having to sit in a corner and pick up a book. Mm -hmm. So it's adapting. It's all everything. I think a parent is not being a parent, but I assume parents are just constantly adapting and there's no way to be perfect in that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, I know that we, we have to come to a close soon. I, I want to highlight something about this book um, because Natasha, this is not a touchy-feely book, although there is some touchy-feely parts in here. What I truly, truly appreciate though is the actionable 
tips and tricks that you provide. And I wanted to, to highlight um, two. Okay, first, I love the relationship. Fairy tales suck. I love it. I was like, ah, oh, there's a lie that's just been broken, right? <laughs> but you, in this section, you say you have a section called learn how to fight. And then you're like, I'm like, oh, that's an, I never learned how to fight. I mean, this is something I've, I've parents never discussed with me, but then you broke it down. The couple fight, the coworker fight, family fight, best friend fight. I so appreciated the small chunks and how uniquely different they are in terms of the dynamics. And the other highlight is anxiety. When I hit the anxiety chapter and you said calm anxiety, when you actually gave tricks of how to practice some of the things and some things will, will work for me and other things will, you know, tricks will work for others. I just felt like this book was more than just, let me share, you know, some things that I know. You really have this actionable piece to this book. So I cannot, I, for me, I'm already gonna build my order for all the young people that I know, like you, this is the book. This is the book that you have to start with. So just sharing some appreciation there. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, the learn to fight section was interesting because I felt like, every memory I have of fighting an adult told me not to you hit a kid when you're five years old on the playground they're like don't hit and then you yell at your brother and my mom would be like don't fight kids stop fighting and then you become an adult and there's no adult being like stop fighting and you like if me and my boyfriend are at home and we're fighting I'm in my head being like don't fight don't fight but we have to <laughs> like that's the only way to grow and to push packs past something so have a productive fight, learn to fight without screaming at each other across a room and then just storming off separately and nothing gets resolved. Learning how to fight in a productive way and then assuming that fights are going to happen because coworkers spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week sitting next to each other. Fights are going to happen. Family is you're with your family your whole life. Fights are going to happen. Like, and recognizing how to fight is far more important than just trying to avoid them. The anxiety chapter is about half a dozen coping techniques that I very clearly lay out that work for me. But like you said, at the very beginning of it, I go, these are some things that work for me. They don't work for me every time. They don't work for me in every scenario. Maybe they work for you. Or maybe you do one and you're like, okay, I know how to level that up or make it work for me in a, in a different way, like tweaking it a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's fully encouraged. Natasha, I just have to, I have to put an exclamation point on the fighting part of it. Sonia, I'm so glad that you brought it up too, because I, I this is a huge, I feel like I, I need to have a soapbox constructed for me that I can get up on right now because, <laughs> because I, I have a huge passion for telling people conf, you don't get to have a conflict-free life and conflict is different than bullying. And there are so many people that confuse the two. If you're uncomfortable in a discussion, that does not mean that you're being bullied. That means there need to be some ground rules set up and some boundaries around the conflict and getting to a resolution. Now there is bullying for sure, but sometimes because we haven't taken the responsibility over here, it turns into bullying. And so just saying to people, like, I want to go out to everyone going, Hey, conflict is real and it's okay. Yeah. There's, there's a section in the book called, or a chapter in the book called what's below that. And it's, if you're having the same fight with somebody over and over and over again, like if you're having a relationship fight, that's, you never clean up, you never do the dishes, you don't bring in the trash cans. You didn't get me dinner the other night. Like there's the same fight that just shows up in different ways. There's something below that. And what is below that? Is it 
I feel like I'm putting more effort into this relationship. I feel like I care about you more. I feel whatever that is, that's the real fight. Have that one and discuss that because you're just going to keep going in circles if you have the surface fights. And it's what you said, it's conflict and people, if they don't take the responsibility, if they don't say, I need to resolve this general conflict, then it turns into, well, I'm being bullied or they're projecting. So the tools that I use in that chapter are the same tools we used in first grade, the who, what, where, when, why, like, who am I actually mad at? And why am I mad? And where in my body do I feel it? And when does this happen? Does it always happen at 7 p.m. on a Friday when I'm hungry and tired or like all of that is a contributing factor into why you're fighting. And if you're able to solve those questions, you're probably going to have a far more productive fight and you won't escalate it into the bullying section of that. It'll stay in the conflict. Oh my gosh, Natasha and Louise. I feel like, quite frankly, each chapter we could have a discussion on. That would be a full podcast, don't you think? 98 of them. Right, 98. 98 chapters. 98 (laughs) podcasts and go. Um, So um, Louise and, and Natasha, Louise, I'll let you go first. As we're kind of closing out again, the discussion I feel like is so rich and we could, we could go. I thank you so much for being here, but can you let each, let us know, let our audience know, Louise, if people want to check out the salon or anything else, how they can get a hold of you. And Natasha, of course, we want to know about how we can get these, this amazing book that we love and order it for all of the young people that we know. So Louise. Well, the best way to figure out what I'm up to and all the various things is louisesattler.com, S-A-T-T-L-E-R.com. It's right there on the little, my little Brady Bunch box. Um, and, or LinkedIn. Those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. And there, you can also get my email and phone number off of some of those. So, or call Natasha, she'll tell you. She'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. Hey, Natasha? So Shit Adults Never Taught Us is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, and Google Playbooks. You can find all the information uh, at shitadultsnevertaughtus.com and on Instagram at shitadultsnevertaughtus. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have to have you guys back on again. And then Luis, you have such an incredible story about um, finding families uh, that we can explore a bit too. So just can't wait. Um, everyone, Thank you so much for joining us this week for the DH effect. Um, you have, we've explored, well, half of maybe a quarter of the 98 different decided heart moments um, <laughs> combined between a mother and daughter and um, shit adults never told us kind of reveals maybe some things that we don't know and we can learn from so much wisdom. I'm just like, I'm still blown away. Like how does she have so much wisdom at the age of 30? So um <laughs> Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also follow us on all any of the podcast platforms that you listen to. And then you can join the conversation that we're going to continue to have about this on our Instagram and Facebook page. But for now, settle, reflect on what is what is your decided heart experience? What are you going to take action on? Please be inspired and have the courage to live with a decided heart. Thanks, everybody.